0: Chapter Twenty of Against Odds by Lawrence L. Lynch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Twenty. We must understand each other. The next morning brought a telegram from Boston, in reply to my wire asking instructions about the rooms on Madison Avenue. It read hold rooms until we come short delay unavoidable trent the second day after our visit to the hospital the photograph of gerald trent was received by miss jen Riss, and at once turned over to me i in my turn putting it into the hands of an expert artist with orders to turn out several dozen copies as rapidly as possible these i meant to distribute freely among specials policemen the columbian guards at the fair city and others were to be furnished the chief of police for the use of the city proper for I meant to have a thorough search made in the hotels boarding places Furnished rooms and in all the saloons and other haunts of vice and crime Wherever an officer armed with one of these pictures and offering a princely reward could penetrate on the morning of the third day another telegram came this read Still delayed because of illness hold rooms trent Accompanying the photograph had come a distracted letter from poor Hilda O'Neill in which she had described Mrs.. Trent the mother of the missing young man as almost broken down by the shock and suspense And we readily guessed that her illness was the cause of the delay 24 hours after receipt of this last message came another mrs. T too ill to travel Doctor forbids my leaving give up rooms for God's sake work don't spare money letter follows Trent In addition to these every day brought across the wires from Hilda O'Neill to her friend The pitiful little question any news and took back the only possible reply Not yet And then came this letter from the father of Gerald Trent Dear sir it began i thank you heartily for your kind straightforward letter and while i see and realize the many obstacles in the way of your search i yet hope i must hope for your ultimate success first because miss generous's letter so full of confidence in you has inspired me with the same confidence and second because to abandon hope would be worse than death the prompt way in which you have taken up this search at miss generous's request has earned my sincerest gratitude Although I had ordered the search begun through our chief of police here yours was the first word of hope or encouragement I have received although I have since heard from your city police My wife lies in a condition bordering upon Insanity and much as I long to be where I can at least be cognizant of every step in the search for my son as it is taken my duty to that son's mother holds me at her bedside. For this reason, we must all remain here, and I implore you to work. Leave no stone unturned. Employ more men. Draw upon me for any sum you may require. Offer any reward you may see fit. Do what you will. Only find my son and save his mother from insanity and his father from a broken heart. Above all, keep me informed i beg of you remember all our moments here are moments of suspense the name at the end was written in a naven diminishing scrawl as if the letter had taxed the strength of the writer almost beyond endurance and i heaved a sigh of earnest sympathy for the father now doubly afflicted it was impossible now to do more than was being done from day to day but every morning i gave an ungrudged fifteen minutes to the writing of a letter in which i tried to say each day some new word of hope and to describe some new feature of our search that he might feel that we were indeed leaving no stone unturned meantime from the moment when our brunette vanished from master billy in the plaisance no trace of her could be found by the lad or by ourselves for a number of days dave and I gave ourselves to an untiring search by day and night We haunted the cafe where she had found lodgings But we did not enter for we did not wish to give the alarm to a young person already sufficiently shy And we spent much time in midway and upon stony Island Avenue Near the places where the camps had seen smug and the saloon wherein he had disappeared one day that the brunette had not entered the cafe since the night of the assault upon the guard we soon assured ourselves But we did not relax our vigilance and for many days the beautiful white city was to us little more than a perplexing Labyrinth in which we searched ceaselessly a new little rest Stopping only to let another take up our seemingly fruitless search It was not often now that we sought our rest together or at the same time but one night after a week's fruitless seeking I came to our door at a late hour to find Dave there before me and not yet asleep He began to talk while watching me lay aside the rather uninteresting disguise. I had worn all day Carl wake up that imagination factory of yours and tell me or make a guess at least Why we don't run upon greenback Bob Delbra or even smug to say nothing of that invisible pedestal climber of yours any more easy enough i replied wearily they're sticking close to business and they don't show at least by day in the grounds any more if they're here at all they are lying perdu in cairo street or in some of the turkish quarters smoking hashish perhaps or flirting with the nouch dancers and all disguised in turban fez or perhaps a chinese pigtail do you believe it i certainly do "'Jove, I wonder how they managed to get into those foreign holy of holies?' "'Baksheesh,' I answered tartly. "'Look here, Carl.' Dave jerked himself erect in the middle of his bed. "'Suppose you wanted to get in with those people. How would you do it?' "'Dave,' I replied, "'why weren't you born with just a little bump of what you mistakenly call imagination? "'I'll show you tomorrow how to do the thing.' "'How?' Dave stubbornly insisted well if i must talk all night suppose in the morning we go to cairo and find our way to some one in some small degree an authority some one who can talk a little english and most of them can i might offer my man a cigar and praise his show a bit and then tell him how i want to tell the world all about it how i want to see how they live not so briefly you understand the circumlocution office is as much in vogue in the orient as According to our mutual friend Dickens it is in old England Well when he fully understands that I admire their life and manners and want to live it as well as write it I begin to bid They're here for money, and they won't let any pass them see Old man cried Dave smiting his knee with vigor. I'm going to try it on It was seven days before our invalid as we now by mutual consent Called the still nameless guard, recovered his senses fully. There had been two or three days of the stupor, and then a brief season of active delirium, and at this stage the surgeon shook his head and looked very serious. And the little Quakeress, who, true to her first intention, came alone, carried away with her a face more serious still. She looks, said the surgeon to me, as much shocked as if he were one of her own people. She has a tender heart," I replied, and he is quite well known, I believe, to others of her family. To one, assuredly," he said with a dry smile and a quick glance, and I knew that June Generous's interest in the insensible guard had been as plain to this worldly-wise surgeon as to me. Remembering this brief dialogue, I was not surprised when I made my brief call in Washington Avenue to note an added shade of seriousness on the fair face that since the disappearance of Gerald Trent unknown But the friend of her friend had been growing graver day by day So that the charms of the great fair had pulled upon her and she had made her daily visits in a subdued and preoccupied mood and shortened them willingly to return at an early hour with the more easily fatigued little Quakeress. On the morning of the eighth day I called early sent by the surgeon with a message to miss Ross She asked me to send her word the first moment when I found our patient sane enough and strong enough to receive a short call and to listen for a few Moments not to talk That was not needed she said He added with one of his quiet smiles and when I told her that when he came to himself the sight of some friend For whom he cared would help him more than medicine and asked her if he had any such, she said that she could at least tell him a bit of pleasant news and asked me to send her word at once. I was very willing to take the message, and when it was delivered, the little Quakeress thanked me in her own quaint, sweet manner. And a few moments later, while I was talking with Miss Jenrys and giving her some details of our search for a clue to young Trent's disappearance, she excused herself quietly and left us without once glancing towards her niece. When I visited the hospital in the afternoon, the doctor said, Your little Quakeress is certainly a sorceress as well. She came very soon after you left us yesterday, and she did not stay long. I had forbidden my patient to talk, and I heard every word she said. It was a mere nothing, but she has almost cured him. If it was so simple i said half ashamed of my curiosity yet having a very good motive for it may i not hear the words that so charmed and healed him as nearly as i can repeat them you may i had introduced her as she bade me and told him that she had called to see him every day and i knew from the look in those open blue eyes of his that she was an utter stranger and that even her name was unknown to him he was pleased though and small wonder at sight of the dainty white-haired sweet-voiced little lady and when she took his hand in hers and Holding it between both her own said in her pretty quaker fashion I am very glad and thankful to see thee so much better And my niece June will be also I mean Miss Jenris who hearing of thy adventure and injuries came at once to see if it were really the friend she thought she recognized in the description my niece's friends are mine, and so I have assumed an old woman's privilege and paid thee a visit daily And now that these seems much better. I will with thy permission Bring her with me when I come again The doctor stopped short and smiled was that all I asked smiling also. What did he say? Well sir for a moment. I thought the fellow was going to faint, but it was a pleasurable shock and he made a feeble clutch at her hand and his face was one beam of gratitude as he looked in hers and whispered while he clung to her hand to-morrow then of course she turned to me and i pretending to have been quite unobservant ordered her away and made their next visit contingent upon his good behavior during the next twenty-four hours i Saw that the time had now come when the patient and i must understand each other better and I began by taking the doctor a little into my confidence, telling him a little of what I knew and a part of what I guessed at or suspected. I want now to enlighten him a little concerning this attack upon him, doctor, I concluded, and if I don't make him talk-oh, see him by all means. There's nothing worse for the sick than suspense. I begin to understand matters. Since his return to consciousness, he has seemed singularly apathetic but let me tell you one thing there were two nights he was always wildest at night when he talked incessantly about that meeting at the bridge and he fully believes now that she whoever that may be was there his first question asked after being told of his mishap was this was any one else attacked or injured besides myself that night at the bridge and when i answered no he seemed relieved of a great anxiety I had not seen him since the full return of his senses and he seemed very glad to see me when the doctor had warned him against much Conversation and had left us I drew my chair close beside his cot so that I could look into his face and he in mine My friend I began I am doctor enough to know that a mind at ease is a great help toward recovery And I am going to set your mind at ease upon some points at least mind I added smiling in spite of myself i do not say your heart now to do this i may need to put a few questions and to obey the doctor and at the same time come to an understanding with you i will make my questions direct and you can answer them by a nod at this he nodded and smiled i dare say i went on you wonder how and why you were treated to that sudden ducking again he nodded this time quite soberly I am going to enlighten you in a measure, and I am obliged, in order to do so, to take you into my confidence to some extent and I must begin with the adventure of the bag, Miss Jenrys's bag. you know now I was approaching a delicate topic, and I knew it very well. I had not, in so many words, asked permission of Miss Jenrys to use her name in relating my story, but I had said to her during one of the several calls I had made in Washington Avenue during the week that had just passed when our friend is able to listen miss Jenrys, i must tell him i think how he came to be assaulted on the bridge as i understand it if only to prepare and warn him against future attacks and to make my story clear to him or even reasonable i shall need to enter somewhat in fact considerably into detail i can hardly make him realize that he has a dangerous enemy else I saw by the flush upon her face and a sudden nervous movement that she understood fully what this would involve and for a moment I feared that she was about to forbid me but the start and blush were quickly controlled and she pressed her lips together and drew herself erect and There was only the slightest tremor in her voice when she said slowly You are right he ought to know and turned at once to another subject Something in the look the young fellow turned upon me when I spoke of the episode of the bag Reminded me of her face as she gave that tacit consent There was the same mingling of pride and eagerness reticence and suspense and I plunged at once into my story Recalling briefly the encounter between miss Jenrys and the Turks the finding of the bag my meeting with him and the appearance of the little Brunette and here I put a question I want to ask you I said and I have a good reason for asking as you will see later Why when that tricky brunette turned her back upon you so pertly after making her demand for the bag? Why you at once left us both and without another word? Wait as he seemed making an effort to reply let me put the question direct Did you not leave us because you thought that person was really a friend of miss Jen Riss? And had perhaps been warned not to speak too freely in your hearing. The blood flew to his pale cheeks, and there was a momentary flash of haughtiness in his fine eyes, but as they met my own, his look faded from them, and he murmured, Yes. Thank you, I said. And now, before going further, let me tell you that I am violating no confidence. It is not for me to explain more fully here than this. The young lady of whom I am about to speak knows that I am telling you these things. I am not speaking against her will. And now his eyes dropped as he said faintly, Thank you. I next told him in as matter-of-fact a manner as possible how I examined the bag, and how, when all other hope of a clue to the owner failed, I read Miss Jenrys letters, how, when the first letter failed to give me the owner's address, I read the second in full. And now I said to him before I go further let me remind you once more that I speak by permission and Add on my own behalf that even thus authorized I would not utter what I am about to say if I did not believe that by doing so I can set right a wrong a worse wrong done to you than that of attempting your life a blow at your honor in fact he started and then as if remembering his condition Said with wonderful self-restraint go on please and I did go on Before I paused again I had told him almost word for word as it was implanted upon my memory the story June Jenris had written to her friend The story of that anti-lenten party Just the fact omitting her expressions of preference I told the story as I would have told it of a dear sister whose maidenly prize was precious to me Told how she had gone at his request to speak with him in the conservatory and how there she had overheard herself unseen those flippant unmanly words so unlike him yet from the lips of someone addressed by his name for a long moment after i had ceased speaking he lay there so moveless with his hands tightly clenched and his eyes fixed upon empty space that i almost feared he had fainted then he turned his face toward me and spoke in stronger tones than I had supposed him capable of using That letter did it name that man? What man I had purposely omitted the name of the man who had come so opportunely to lead miss Jenrys away After she had heard the heartless speech from behind the ferns in the conservatory And while I asked the question I knew to whom he referred the man who came so opportunely after the after I had gone I hesitated here was a complication perhaps for I had hoped he would not put this question yet But I could not draw back now or what I had meant should result in good for two persons at least Might cause further misunderstanding and render the last state worse than the first So after a moment I answered Yes it named the man who tell me this was not a request it was a command and he was off his pillow resting upon his elbow and eyeing me keenly I Got up and bent over him I'll tell you fast enough I said grimly and it's evident you are not a dead man yet But get back on your pillow he's here in this very white city And if you want to take care of your own you'd better not undo the doctor's good work lie down he dropped back weakly and the fire died out of his face. He was deathly pale, but his white lips framed the word, Who? Monsieur Maurice Voisin, I said. The dastard! Quite so, I agreed. Did you know he was here? Yes. He lay silent a moment, then, I see. He saw it was. He. I held up my hand. If you talk any more, I shall go. And I have more to say to you I want you to get well, but there's someone else who is even more anxious than I am But you have made one mistake I think you think that Voisin attacked you because you were about to meet miss Jenrys, do you not? He stared but did not answer When the brunette met you in the afternoon of that day She gave you some reason for believing that miss J desired to see you and that if you joined them at night It would please her I paused but again. He was mute My friend I went on I believe that love besides being himself blind Is capable of blinding and befooling the wits of the wisest The brunette is an impostor as for knowing miss Jenrys, She does if following her up and down and trying to force an acquaintance is knowing her Here is the truth that brunette as we all call her for want of any other appellation is one of a trio, or perhaps a quartet, of adventurers, confidence men, counterfeiters, what you will, so that it is evil. They are here for mischief, and they began at once, through this brunette decoy, to entrap Miss Jenrys, for what purpose I am just beginning to learn. It seems, too, that they have designs upon you, for they decoyed you out the other night, this brunette and one of their women companions, dressed to resemble Miss J. And when they had you upon the bridge and you thought you were about to meet Miss Jay, two men who had been lying in wait for you behind a buttress sprang upon you, and while one thrust you over, the other dealt you a blow which, an inch lower, would have killed you, so the doctor said. All the life had gone out of his face as I ceased speaking. His lips trembled. Then it was not she? he said brokenly. My dear fellow, I put my hand upon his listen until the next morning. She did not know you were here But after reading that letter I could not help believing that you were the man of whom she wrote and I went to her Told her of my meeting with you described you and saw at once that she recognized you Then I told her how you had been attacked and the next morning I brought her and her aunt to see you I Don't want to flatter you and I can't betray a lady but while it was not she that night upon the bridge and in your own sober senses and free of Cupid's blindness You would be among the first to know that it could not be she She is now very near and she is only waiting to be told that she may come to see with her own eyes That you are better and that you will be glad to see her Glad how much the one word said but in a moment he looked up but the these men, how do you know? About the attack? I saw it. I had been following, watching you and them. He put his hand to his head as if bewildered. But, my God, those men, if they are following her and myself, and if it is not, not voisin! He lifted his hand suddenly. I tell you, man, it is voisin! As his hand dropped, the doctor came up and Looked keenly from one to the other I got up quickly Doctor I said I fear he has talked too much But if you will let me talk to him a little longer tell him something that will lift a weight from his mind Once he understands it I am sure he will promise not to talk and I will be brief The doctor looked at his watch go on he said I give you fifteen minutes the guard heaved a long sigh of relief and i seated myself again beside the cot now i said i on my part at least am going to be perfectly frank with you we must understand and aid each other end of chapter twenty